Hello, uh, welcome to the podcast on Medicare coverage for home antral and parental nutrition. My name is Jay Mertallo, clinical practice specialist at the American Society for Parental and Antral Nutrition, as well as a professor emeritus at the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. We bring this podcast to you from the American Society for Parental and Antral Nutrition in partnership with the National Home Infusion Association and uh, especially the Public Policy Committee from Aspen. And we're going to cover a few points related to the current coverage as it's changed over the last couple of years uh, and I'll let you uh, introduce themselves as uh, Penny Allen's joining me as well as Bill Noyes. Thanks, Jay. I'll go first. Hi, everyone. My name is Penny Allen. I'm a registered dietitian. I'm certified in nutrition support. I serve as the National Director for Nutrition Support for Optum Infusion Pharmacy, a national home infusion company. And I also concurrently serve as the chair of the Aspen Public Policy and Advocacy Committee. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jay and Penny. I'm Bill Noyes. I'm the Senior Vice President of Reimbursement Policy for the National Home Infusion Association. I am not a clinician, but work on the finance and operations side of the business and um, am very happy to have Penny Allen also on NHIA's uh, Medicare Contractor Advisory Committee. So we do a lot of work with the Medicare contractors and understanding policy and educating our members around that policy. And there are some recent changes with the Penn policy that we're here to talk about today. So thanks for having me. Great. Welcome, you guys. It's really great to be uh, working with the uh, true experts in the field in this area. And, you know, we're talking about Medicare coverage. And let's just go back to the basics and have you guys explain how is coverage for home parental and natural nutrition administered through CMS? Like all coverage policies, they're defined in the policy manual. And then there may or may not be a national coverage determination. That's just what it sounds like, a national coverage determination that CMS writes to um, explain what the various administrative contractors, those that implement Medicare policy to various suppliers, should have at a local level. And then at the local level, there are local coverage determinations that detail what is covered and how to submit claims and the various codes used. So it's policy manual. NCD, if there is one, and LCD, and we'll get into some of the nuances and changes that have gone on, but Penny, I'll let you fill in any details. Yeah, and and normally, I think for any of us who have practiced and taken care of home enteral, home parenteral patients that had Medicare as a primary payer, you probably are familiar with the fact that there were significant challenges with these policies and that historically, nothing had really changed in greater than 35 years. So the coverage criteria for each is pretty restrictive, even today, but was incredibly restrictive up until about a year or so ago. And Aspen, in combination with the National Home Infusion Association, we've lobbied CMS for decades to try to make updates to these policies. So that's one of the biggest takeaways is that Medicare doesn't act like other payers. Most other payers, whether it's an HMO, PPO, anything of that sort, commercial plan, If you needed PN or EN and there was medical necessity for it, usually if your policy is active, you're good to go. You can go home on it and the company who's taking care of you can bill for the services. 
Medicare was its own different animal altogether with a whole different system of even determining whether someone had coverage or not. And that's long since been a major issue, which got Bill and I back together again to say, hey, let's give it another go. Let's try to file a reconsideration. Let's see if they'll listen to us again. It had been about six, seven years since we tried to file a reconsideration. And it really was because the HPN and HEN coverage criteria was just so incredibly restricted that patients, beneficiaries did not have access to the care that they deserved and paid for. You know, you guys mentioned the NCD and LCD, and it's a confusing concept. Uh, I think it's even more confusing as regards to which one or whatever. And, you know, we've got some areas with antrum parental nutrition, but what's the difference CD and LCD? Uh, is that important for us to consider here? Uh, it is, especially since just last week, CMS announced they'll be doing away with retiring, removing the national coverage determination for parental and enteral nutrition. So uh, at a local level, you start with looking at the local coverage determinations, and those are based on the national coverage determinations. So they have to be within the scope of the national coverage determination. In the absence of that, they'll look to the policy manual and where the coverage is described in that policy manual. Both enteral and parental nutrition are covered as prosthetic benefits. So they'll have to follow those prosthetic benefit test of permanent type rules. So they're both important and they should be consistent in their rules. In this scenario, because the NCD was written in 1984 and hadn't been updated since then, there was some very outdated language. And frankly, some things that the Medicare contractors understood were outdated and they weren't necessarily auditing against those factors. And that's the primary reason that CMS has decided to remove that NCD. So we've lobbied greatly for the LCD, the local coverage determination to be updated, which it has been, and also for the national coverage determination to be updated. Instead of updating it, they've opted to do away with it. And on the surface, I think that's okay. We would have preferred to see it updated, but we'll be watching and, and advocating for those LCDs now to be updated even further where they couldn't because of some conflicting language and some things that we wanted to see that were specifically in the national coverage determination. But we can get into those specifics, but I'll let Penny talk a little bit more about the differences. and Yeah, so the NCD, we all had mixed emotions. And again, as Bill said, that's hot off the press that they made that decision. We did both groups, Aspen and NHIA, provided comment. We were united as we have been in the last two years with our commentary in terms of what we think makes sense for updates. So the fact that they did away with it, then now we're left with those local coverage determinations or policies for lack of a better word. And we go back to the advocacy efforts of trying to get whatever is still outdated that is in those new LCDs. And remember, those just got rolled out September 5th, 2021. So for any claims that are gonna come through to CMS on or after September 5th, we are now held to those brand new PN and EN LCDs. So there are some you know, small things in there. As Bill said, we are still left with prosthetic device benefit, 
whether we agree with that or not, you know, where PN and EN fall. So being compared to like a dialyzer, an artificial limb, something is broken and not going to be fixed anytime soon. That's probably the easiest way that I can explain it. You know, that PN or EN, it's really the pump or the tube serving as a prosthesis. That is not the way any other payer thinks about it, but we're still stuck with that. The test of permanence we're still stuck with, and that was in both the NCD and now in the LCD, meaning the patient needs to require PN or EN for a long and indefinite duration. Now, the government doesn't tell us what that means. They don't give us any timeline. We used to have in the old policies, it said ordinarily at least three months. They did away with that language. We don't know why, but you know the foundation for coverage as it remains today is that prosthetic device mentality and a long and indefinite duration. The good news is what we did get rid of a year ago was all of that very complicated situation, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, with all kinds of outdated testing like fecal fats and 24-hour INOs and all of that. That is all gone. So, I mean, the glimmer of hope, the door cracking open that allows more patients to meet criteria means better access, particularly on the PN side of things. So we still have some work to do with the new LCDs, but our work is not done. You know, we've been able to get this far, which is the furthest we've come in quite some time. And we feel like the new medical directors of these four regions are definitely more receptive, more willing to listen. They've asked us for, you know, state-of-the-art references. So we feel optimistic that we still have work to do, but hopefully they'll continue to listen to us as a combined industry entity. So with the new LCDs, have we seen any current or changes in, in just how the Medicare decisions are administered for our beneficiaries? Do we see better coverages for the Medicare patients since it's been in trial for a year and now permanent for the last couple of months? I think in I think theory, but I'll leave that to Penny since she is <laughs> operating in the I was going to say, in my company's experience, we're a national company with about 50 home infusion pharmacies across the United States. What we have seen is, you know, in the old days before any changes, only 10, maybe 12% of patients that were referred for home PN that had Medicare met criteria. So that means like nine out of 10 did not meet it, which was awful. What we're seeing now in the last year, and we've been tracking our outcomes, is about 60 to 65 percent, like six out of 10, six and a half out of 10 patients are meeting criteria. So this is new. We're continuing to track it. And Jay, if you're asking, you know, what are the trends, what we're seeing with Medicare, it's too early to really tell. You know, we're putting the claims through. We're qualifying them, you know diligently in saying, yes, we have exactly what we need. We feel comfortable. The claims are going through. And I think time will tell. And that's, I've done a couple of different um, local Aspen chapter meetings. And that question always comes up. Are we seeing any trends as of yet? And that's where, again, Aspen and NHIA are going to work together to try to collect that data. And one of the things we do look at on the Medicare advisory councils is if we see something where like all of a sudden, Many companies are getting denials or things kicked back. We can bring that to their attention and raise the issue and say, hey, why is this happening? But because this is so, so new, September 5th is you know the beginning of the brand new LCDs, but we've got that year of lag. Um, I think that 
as we continue to see how the new processes lay out, you know, we'll, we'll have a little bit more data, but we're definitely seeing a significant increase in patients that meet the new criteria, which is tremendous. It's not perfect, but it's much better than what it has been. So looking at those processes, can you, you kind of outline what your approach is and what data or documentation would be needed in order to justify or get approval for home parental or actual nutrition? Absolutely. The way that I'm explaining it in the most simplest terms is we don't have, it's almost more confusing, I think, to clinicians, case managers, prescribers now, because we were so used to having so much finite black and white rules and regulations. And now it's almost like, okay, if you need it for long and indefinite duration, and if you've got a permanent impairment of your either GI tract, meaning, you know, if it's enteral, is it up here? you know, your head, neck area, precluding food from getting to your mouth down into your small intestine to be utilized, or if it's PN, is it the absorption of nutrients in your small intestine? So obviously any objective data that's gonna support that kind of permanent impairment is critical, but the government doesn't say exactly what that is. So I describe it like, almost like a joint commission. We need to see the story in the chart. If the patient is on parental nutrition, what is wrong with their GI tract? Is it going to get fixed anytime soon? Was enteral considered or tried? Is it impossible? Make a statement about that. And then how long do you think the patient is going to need that therapy at home? That's really what we need. And we need the rest of the chart to support that. So whatever studies or tests were done, that's going to support the story. But in essence, you know, it cannot be chemotherapy side effects, the patient's been vomiting, and that's going to get better when the chemo resides. That still will not be covered as of today. Somebody who has a partial small bowel obstruction and surgery is scheduled in a month, that's still not going to be covered because you have to take a step back and say, is that a permanent condition? And does the patient need home PN or EN, you know, for the long term? So not, you don't count the days in the hospital that they might be on therapy. It's starting day one at home. Is it a long and definite duration? So it's a little bit more loosey-goosey, but again, it's think about the story. What's going on with the patient? What has been tried? What hasn't been tried? Is this a permanent condition? And how long is that patient going to need the therapy for home? So it's pretty much, you know, it sounds easier, but I think sometimes clinicians have a hard time with it being a little bit more gray. They're like, well, tell me exactly what I need. And it's like, tell me the story of what's going on with your patient. So it's a story with good evidence, right? Story with good objective evidence to back it up. I, I completely agree with everything that Penny said. And I think one of the challenges for some organizations is you really need a strong nutritional support team that can interpret this objective data to ensure that they qualify. And, mm -hmm. and that's something not everybody, not everybody has those resources. There are companies of all sizes working in the space. So it goes from a checklist to more of a looking at the clinical chart to interpret whether or not they meet the criteria in the new LCD. Uh, the challenge with the old checklist is it was an outdated checklist. It had a number of tests that aren't performed any longer, omitted a lot of newer, better updated tests. But now that we don't have a checklist, it requires uh, a team, people like Penny, that can interpret the information. I think that's a great point. If I, we can make any suggestion, it really is that if you're a provider 
and you're going to be taking on home parental enteral Medicare beneficiaries, you need to understand what you're doing. You need to understand the law. You need to understand that this is the federal government. It isn't a local payer. You need to understand that if you, out of the goodness of your heart, on the day of discharge, change the story to make it fit, that can be construed as a felony and fraudulent, and none of us want to be in that position. And I think at times not everyone remembers that, that this, is, this isn't just Blue Cross or Humana or United Health Group. This is CMS. It's the federal government. It's Medicare and Medicaid services. So not that anyone's intentionally doing anything wrong. I think it's just in the quickness, the speed of trying to get someone out of the hospital and getting somebody what they need. Sometimes the stories don't jive. And that's a really important point. You need clinicians and you know people on board that can take a look at the documentation because in the end, it's all about the patient or the beneficiary. You want to protect them and make sure that CMS can't come back and say, hmm, we don't have what we need. You know what? We're going to audit you and take all the money back. And then the beneficiary is on the, on the hook for it. And that is not what any of us want. So those are key points to remember. So I wanted to uh, make a note that uh, Penny has actually written a wonderful article in the uh, Practical Gastroenterology in the October issue 2021 that really summarizes a lot of what we're talking about today. There's an interesting table there with frequently asked questions that you can see answers to and whatever. And I, I think, Penny, we do have it linked uh, in the Aspen uh, website and the public policy page. So let's uh, have access to that there. Uh, so rather than going through those questions, now I, one of the things I'm very interested in, in hearing from you guys and kind of a summary is, you know, where are we going for here? What are the future issues that we still need to address to help improve access based on reimbursement for home entry and parental nutrition through Medicare? I think um, through our work with the Medicare contractor advisory committees, we'll try to ascertain what the, what the DME NACs are planning to do next now that they know that NCD is going to be retired. There were a couple of comments that both NHIA and Aspen made that the DME Max acknowledged they couldn't change because of the language in the NCD. They have to do at least what the NCD states. But since that's going away, there may be an opportunity to do away with home mix codes, which is really mm -hmm. archaic. Patients do not mix parental nutrition in their home. It's a pharmacy-prepared solution. And the way the NCD was written, it really required the local coverage determinations to include those codes as well. It included language around needing to qualify the need for an infusion pump to administer parental nutrition, like you're going to administer it via gravity or push or something. I don't know. But there really shouldn't be a need to qualify the need for a pump. We need PN. You need an infusion pump to ramp that PN or to infuse that PN safely over a period of time. There were a couple other things that were mentioned in the NCD that are going away. One is the need to start PN in a hospital before going home on it. And I think that we've supplied sufficient data to allow for home start, but that's yet to be seen. So those are some things that we'll be advocating for changes. As far as reimbursement rates, we also commented on the new code for specific lipid, but we get less into the rate structure and more into the policy around coverage. These are B codes. So there, there certainly are challenges when it comes to reimbursement, when they don't look the, at the actual cost for ingredients. 
And there's been, because of shortages and new technologies, there's prices have increased, but they base the rates on CPI. Every year they increase it based on CPI and not necessarily the true cost of the resources involved in providing PM in the home. I think one of, yeah, my final thought is a bigger ask that may take decades again is to get PN and EN out of the prosthetic device benefit section of the, the DME Medicare manual. It just, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense logistically. And what it poses a big challenge for is there's no acknowledgement of the service that we provide, the care that's provided to patients, nursing, pharmacy, nutrition, consultative, writing the orders for a prescriber who doesn't even know how to write a PN order. You know, when you keep it under prosthetic device, A, it limits only long-term PN, like permanent impairment patients, which we know we use PN and EN sometimes for shorter term situations today. It's not 1975 where everyone has intestinal failure forever and ever and ever. Um, but also, you know, if you keep it there, it's the reimbursement is tied to that pump or that tube, not the care that's being provided. So that's a bigger ask. I think it's going to take us some time to try to lobby to get that out of the prosthetic device benefits so it can be construed like how every other payer on the planet looks at this, that it's care, it's a therapy at home. Um, and whether you need it for six weeks or six years, if you need it, you should be able to have reimbursement for it if you paid into the system your whole life. So that's, I think that's a big, big one. The other stuff, we can probably get there a lot quicker, like home starts. You know, the DME Max have acknowledged, like, we know you do home starts. We know you can start them in the home, especially with COVID. My company's, mm -hmm. you know, rates were probably close to 30% of our PN starts were home starts in the last year or two. So we've got a lot of work to do. So that's why I've encouraged on every single call, if you've never gotten involved in advocacy before, Start asking about it. Go to the NHIA.org website. Take a look. I'll also mention Bill and I co-wrote an article that's a little bit of a shorter version of these Medicare guidelines. That's on the NHIA website, an Infusion Magazine article. But on the Aspen Public Policy, Jay has done some fabulous tutorials about advocacy. So as clinicians, sometimes we think, oh, I can't do that. That's too scary. Take a look at some of those primers. Take a look at some of the bills that are out there and dip your toe in the water. Because uh, if we don't all speak up and work towards this, nothing is going to change for our patients. So that's my final and recommendation. Also, Penny will be speaking on this topic at the NHIA conference in Nashville in March of 2022. Thank you, so, Bill. Yeah, and Jay and I, we're doing the now. same at Aspen. We're, we're really excited to do a, a really big push on advocacy and trying to get our membership more involved in just understanding what are some of the bills and things out there that are affecting the care that our patients should be getting. So um, it takes all of us. So really exciting stuff to come. Well, thank you both. I think that this has been a great discussion related to a topic that has been a concern for a number of us for a good long time, decades. I think Bill mentioned the NCD yeah. went into 1984. We weren't with it then, and uh, we're still, still not kind of happy. And I just want to emphasize that this is a great success. I really, really congratulate Penny and Bill for taking the lead on getting a success in an area that really has had a, been a barrier for us for a number of decades uh, and uh, establishing momentum for us to have a dialogue with CMS 
for the main purpose of making sure our patients have access to an important nutrition therapy in, in, the, in the home basis. And it's uh, this is a beginning. We've got a positive uh, outcome with regards to this, and we're hoping to have more positive outcomes as we go along in the, in the future. So we can uh, conclude the podcast and thank you for uh, uh, sticking with us for the last 25 to 30 minutes. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to find the podcast on most of the uh, Aspen channels, as well as uh, other channels. We'll share it with NHIA as well. So uh, we want to make sure as many people as possible hear from the experts uh, how they can best uh, accomplish uh, reimbursement for home mental and parental nutrition with the new LCDs. Thank you so much, Jay. Thanks, Jay.